0: Okay, finally got that straight. Had a little technical difficulty there. All right, good to see you all this evening. Uh, Tonight we're going to be in Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. And the primary theme of this chapter is the choice. The choice. Israel has to make choices. And just as all of us in our Christian life, we have to make choices too. Um, just as we looked at before in uh, Joshua, his farewell address, when he told Israel, choose whom you would serve. After me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, Elijah, we looked at that text, I think, uh, last week uh, when he was going up against the 400 prophets of Baal and he uh, asked Israel, you know, how long will you halt between two opinions? If you're going to serve the Lord, serve him. If you're going to serve the Baals, uh, serve uh, them. Uh, so the Bible always presents us with a choice. Either we are for christ or we are against christ either we worship god or we don't worship god uh... there's no such thing as a a neutral in scripture uh... as, or as my old folks used to say there's no straddling of the fence you can't straddle the fence either we are on the Lord's side or either god is on our side or he's not either god is for us or he, he is against us um, so there's no in between so in this chapter right here chapter thirty uh, after Israel reestablishes their covenant uh, with God that we looked at last week, we see choices. And so this first section here deals with uh, restoration. So begin at verse 30. Let's pray right quick and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this uh, Bible study tonight, those who are in here listening to it and those who are watching on Facebook live and those who were here it once it's posted Lord we pray that you be with us tonight strengthen us in this midweek uh, study strengthen us by your spirit strengthen us by means of your word Lord, help us to understand the truths that you want us to know in this text tonight help us to see you help us to see the gospel help us Lord to know you better to love you better and to serve you better all of our days. In Christ's name. Amen. So. Looking at the first few verses here. It says. When all these things. Come upon you. The blessing and the curse. Because remember the last chapter. talked about. Um, the blessings and the curses That will come on them. Uh, the blessings if they obey. And the curses if they don't. Obey. That's what these last uh, two chapters were about so moses is kind of summarizing it now continuing which i have set before you and you call them to mind among all the nations where the lord your god has driven you and return to the lord your god you and your children and obey his voice in all that i command you today with all your heart with all your soul then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you to a land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live and the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecute you and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul. So the first part of this chapter Deals with um, restoration for a repentant Israel when Israel repents. So, just looking at those, that first verse again, uh, it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you. So, under the inspiration of God, Moses explained the blessings and the curse that will come upon an obedient Israel. You know, we again looked at that in the last. A couple of chapters. So Moses knew that all these things would come upon Israel. He knew that all the blessings would come upon them, but guess what? He also knew all the curses would come upon them, and we're going to see uh, that play out. So the height of the blessing took place during the reigns of King David and King Solomon. Have uh, you been reading through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings? You can see that during the reigns of of david and and solomon israel had relative uh... blessing under the lord now of course after solomon everything with caprice because of solomon's sin god uh... split the kingdom in two and you see all the wicked kings of the north and the kings of the south uh, judah that go back and forth between good and evil kings now the ultimate end Curse was the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD that Christ had himself predicted would, would happen. So Israel's legacy, if you look at the legacy of Israel as you read through Joshua all the way down through the New Testament, you will see that Israel's legacy has been a legacy of even or either being blessed or cursed under the terms of the New Covenant. When they were blessed, that means that things were going well, they were obeying the Lord. But man, it seemed like all the more of the curses came upon them than the blessings because of how disobedient they were to God, because of how stiff necked their hearts were. That's why the exiles took place. That's why the northern tribe was taken away. And that's why the southern tribe was taken away by Babylon. That was a punishment, that was a judgment against Israel for their continued rebellion against the Lord. And he said here, you, you should call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. So God knew that Israel would be scattered, that they would be exiled. And this is called the, uh, to, to, for the nations to be scattered, is called the diaspora, D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A. That's like a disbursement. Uh, and I think I told you all in 722 B.C. when the Assyrians had captured the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes under the fifth V, uh, they scattered those northern ten tribes throughout the known parts of the earth at that time. They uh, they are often referred to as the lost tribes of Israel, because those northern ten tribes were literally scattered throughout the face of the known earth. They they never came back. Uh, the capital of the northern kingdom was in Samaria. Uh, Judah, the, the capital of the southern kingdom, was in Jerusalem. So, in, in essence, the southern kingdom was the righteous kingdom. And the northern kingdom was like King Ahab was over the northern kingdom. All those wicked kings, his sons, all this, all those wicked kings of the northern kingdom. When you're reading through 1st second, 2nd second Kings, you'll see that. All those wicked kings of the, of the northern kingdom. They all, um, th- that kingdom ended up being scattered uh, throughout the face of the known earth. They were dispersed. And, of course, the southern kingdom, Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians in 586 BC, but they were taken to one place. They were taken to Babylonia, to Babylon rather, and they lived there as a people. So Israel was scattered. They were driven out. But while excuse me, while they were dispersed They were to remember or recall the promises of the blessing and the curse. Even while they were scattered, they were called to remember that. But God did not lead them to that. God promised to restore Israel in the promised land. So we see that in verses 2 through 5. And you return to the Lord with your God and obey his voice according to all that he commanded them. You and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. Now, this was fulfilled uh, in part by the return of the exiles from Babylon, and we saw that in the book of Ezra and Esther. I'm sorry, Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, we we preached through uh, Ezra. I think last year, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah uh, chronicle the exiles coming back. Um, In Ezra, it is under uh, King Cyrus that he sent uh, some exiles back to uh, Jerusalem to help to rebuild the temple and to restore uh, temple worship. That's, in essence, what the book of Ezra was about. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of this would be when God regathers Israel into the promised uh, land okay that's the ultimate fulfillment so um, the ultimate fulfillment ultimately is when we are restored when we make it to heaven because remember the promised land in scripture is a picture of heaven for us under the old covenant it was the promised land which they did not even fully conquer but for us our promised land is uh, heaven, so we must always uh, remember that now God will regather Israel into the promised land so um, as I said in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah Nehemiah is where the wall was rebuilt and also Nehemiah reestablished worship of God and a renewal of the covenant and a renewed commitment to the covenant of God that's what uh, Nehemiah was primarily uh, about so God would bring them back from captivity it says from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you okay so again this was Babylon now if you think about it, today Israel is populated uh, from, from Jews virtually from every country in the world that means that the Jews were scattered throughout all the, all the world And a lot of Jews came back when uh, the the modern Israel state was established in 1948 after World War II. Uh, Those who were Jews moved back to Israel to live in their state and in their land that their ancestors lived in. So Israel now is filled with Jews who are Jews by heritage. And these Jews have come from all over the world to go to Israel and to live there as uh, Jewish people. So this shows, that's this promise that was fulfilled, that God would restore them back to their land, that Jews were scattered literally across the face of the earth, and many of them came back to live in Israel as they do until uh, this day. That's why he says in verse 4, If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord will gather you. Now, Adam Clark, a theologian, wrote this right here, and this is a good point he made. He wrote this in 1811. He says, As this promise referred to a return from captivity in which they had been scattered among all nations, consequently it is not the Babylonish captivity which is intended, and the repossession of their land must be different from that which was consequent on their return from Chaldea. Chaldea was inside of Babylon. So what he is saying is that this prophecy was fulfilled where it is now, where Israel is a state and you have Jews living there. So it wasn't just about the Babylonian captivity. It went far below that. Okay? In the time of Jesus' day, in Palestine, where he lived, that's where a lot of Jews were. Okay, So this was fulfilled during that time. Then he said, The Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall uh, possess it. And this happened to be the land of Israel. So the modern restoration of Israel again uh, fulfills this promise, more so than the return from Babylonian uh, exile. Okay? And then he says, He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And again, this is dealing with the modern restoration of, of Israel, that it is more numerous of a nation than it was even during biblical times. But not only w- w- did he want to restore them to the land, the most important restoration was a spiritual restoration, because that's the restoration that matters the most. And we see that here in verse 6 And the Lord your God will circumcise. Your heart and the heart of your offspring or your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Now, as good as the modern restoration is, the more important restoration is the heart restoration, the spiritual dimension. Now, this has not yet been accomplished, and I'll tell you why. In our day uh, Israel is a largely uh, secular nation it is largely secular okay they do respect the Bible over there they respect the Torah as a, a basically a historical book okay but Israel is a thoroughly secular nation there hasn't been in Israel a true turning to God those jews over there a lot of them are secular jews they're not they're not true spiritual jews they're they're secular jews okay so israel itself is a particularly secular uh... nation okay so also even orthodox jews those who practice jewish uh, religion judaism they haven't completely turned to the lord because they haven't accepted accepted christ as the messiah that is one thing that that separates jews from christians okay you have uh, orthodox jews and you have messianic jews now messianic jews are the jews that do accept christ as lord and savior but the orthodox jews don't they're still waiting on the messiah they don't believe that messiah has yet come but the messianic jews you get the word messianic from the word messiah So the Messianic Jews, we have a Jewish synagogue up here next to Park Memorial Church, I think on 14th Noble, 13th and Noble. I think it's 13th and Noble right up there, Temple Beth El. uh, That is a Orthodox Jewish synagogue. They meet on Sabbath, which is Saturday, but that's not a Messianic Jewish congregation. Okay, so they are primarily secular Jewish uh, congregation. They're not, they're, they're, they're Orthodox, they're not Messianic. Okay, but the most important thing, again, the focus is the circumcising of the heart. That's what matters. This is the final aspect of the promise to uh, restore Israel. God will restore them spiritually. Now, another place you'll find this, this is the promise of the new covenant. Because the old covenant didn't get to their hearts. That's why they kept sinning against God. That's why they kept disobeying God. That's why they kept rebelling against God because the law had not been applied to their hearts. In order for us as believers to obey God, it has to start in our hearts. A unbeliever can't obey God because their hearts are not after God. Their hearts hate God. They hate God in their hearts. They rebel against God. Why? Because the Lord is not in their hearts. Okay, That matters. The heart has to be changed. That's where regeneration takes place. God gives us a new heart because the heart is the it it represents the seat psalm and center of our life. Everything flows from it. Uh, Jesus himself said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. In other words out of the abundance of the heart that's what a person does. So if a person doesn't have a spiritual heart they're not going to do spiritual things. Okay so Ezekiel 36 says this. This is the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. God says this. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit. Within you. I will take the heart of stone. Out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes, And you will keep my judgments and do them so what is Ezekiel saying God was going to give them a new heart and give them a new spirit we can't get this on our own it is something that God must do in our hearts a person can't live like a believer unless God has given them a new heart that new heart is what saves them that new heart is what brings them salvation They can't do it without a new heart. A person can't, quote, live right without a new heart. Like, why can't they just do right? Because they don't have a new heart. They're not saved. They're not regenerated. Remember, they're spiritually dead. So, Ezekiel is saying, this is the new covenant. This is the covenant we're under. God put a new heart and new spirit within us. He will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Think about a stone versus flesh. A stone is what? It's hard. It can't be penetrated. A stone is in, impenetrable. It can't be. It can't be penetrated. It can't be broached. Flesh is what? Soft. Flesh absorbs. Okay. So you look at flesh versus stone. Stone is hard. Stone can absorb anything. But flesh is soft. It can absorb. So that's what God was going to do here. As he said in Ezekiel. Yes. Ezekiel 36. Verses 26 through 27. So this is what God said he was going to do. And this is um, what Moses is alluding to in this passage. Now Paul said that uh, all Israel will be saved and that's all of true Israel all those who accept Messiah so this is what God will do he will give them he will circumcise their hearts and then when their hearts are circumcised guess what they will love the Lord with all their heart so again verse 6 look at that structure the Lord your God will circumcise your heart in the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. The only way a person can love the Lord God is if they have a new heart. To love God means to worship him. To love what he loves and hate what he hates. A person can't do that unless they have a new heart. So when God gives them that new heart, guess what? They're going to love the Lord. You can't say, oh, that person loves the Lord and they're living and rebellion against God. <laughs> that doesn't know. That doesn't comport. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. So that's what the Lord will do. He will circumcise that heart. And then verse 7 through 10 gives the blessings that come with them repenting. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies. Okay. So these prophecies are fulfilled in the modern restoration of Israel. But the ultimate promise of this. Will happen when Christ comes back. When people truly turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is, is, is going to conquer all of his enemies once for all. When Christ comes back, guess what? He's going to crush all of his enemies. He's going to crush all of them. They're defeated right now, but they will ultimately be defeated when Christ comes back. That's something that we as believers can take comfort in. The curses on the enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. That's what's going to happen to our enemies. Christ is going to crush them. All the curses are going to fall on them, all the condemnation. And then as a result, they will again obey the voice of the Lord. God make them abound in all the work of their hands, the fruit of their body, and the increase of their livestock. So they are basically going to be blessed because they're doing what? Obeying the voice of the Lord again. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers if you obey the voice of the Lord your God so there you go again if you obey if you obey if you obey if you keep his commandments and his statutes which I've written in the book of the law and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul there it is again if you do this if you do this if you do this you will experience the blessing of the Lord That's what God is telling them. Now. These next few verses is where Moses is completing his sermon. Verses 11 through 14. Since for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So what Moses is saying is that the covenant which God made with Israel is not too mysterious for them. Okay, in other words, they can keep this covenant. God is not making it impossible for them to obey him. God never makes his word, his commands too hard for us to obey. If we find it hard to obey God, it is the problem is not with God. The problem is with who? It is with us. Say, oh, Lord, your, 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 your commands are just, just too hard. I just, I just can't do it. Nope. That is not true. Okay? That is not true. We, we must know that God gives these laws to us for our good. First John 5 says this first John 5 and one you can turn today if you want to as we hold our spot in Deuteronomy this is what Deuteronomy says about I mean this is what John says here about the commandments of God first John 5 mean we're speaking about it being too mysterious or is it far off? It is possible to obey God. 1 John 5 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do what? Obey His commandments. Now listen to this. But this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments. Are not what? Grievous. The ESV says burdensome. His commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. They're not, they're not hard. They're not difficult. God's love in his people. Gives them a the desire. Desire. To love and please we we who are believers we have a desire to please God we have an eagerness to keep his commandments. so true believers want to obey God that's one of the marks of a believer that's one of the marks of a believer when God does that work in our heart and saving us guess what we want to obey God we want to please God he gives us a holy desire to obey him True believers don't look at God's commandments as hard and burdensome and, and grievous. And like, man, Lord, this is just too much. God's commandments, when, we, when God's commandments are rightly understood and rightly followed, they bring great joy and freedom. They don't bring a sense of oppression. Let me say that again. When God's commandments are rightly understood. And when they're rightly followed. Okay. They bring believers. Great joy. And freedom. They don't bring us a sense of. Oppression. Or hardship. For true believers, obeying God is a pleasure. Obeying God brings us joy. Because we know that it pleases the Lord. And we know the blessings that come with obedience. So Israel, same thing. That was great. Look at all the blessings that come with obeying God. That Israel would get. That's a blessing. It's a blessing to obey God. It's a blessing to do what's pleasing to God. It is a blessing for believers. It's the unbelievers who look at God's commands as burdensome because guess what? They don't want to obey God. They want to redefine everything that God has established. They want to take everything that God said is good and make it evil, make it sinful. Yeah, turn it around the other way. Turn it upside down calling good evil and evil good. That's what the world does. Why? Because they don't want to obey God. They hate God. They don't take pleasure in obeying God. Why? Because they don't have a new heart. That's why they turn to perversion. To pervert means to make unclean. They they want to make everything that God made clean, unclean. They want to make everything that God made holy, unholy. They want to make everything that God made righteous, unrighteous why because they don't have new hearts and because they don't have new hearts they're not going to take pleasure in obeying God's commands they're going to say God is too strict a true Christian a true believer would never say that God's commandments are too strict Israel could not say that because Moses said what? These are not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It's not unattainable. It's not impossible to obey this covenant. God would never command us to do something that we can't do. Never. He would never do that. So now it comes down to the choice here in Deuteronomy. He comes down to the choice, uh, beginning at verse 15. See, I have set before you today, look at the choices here life and good, death and evil. That's an analogy there. It means life or good or death or evil. In there, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you're going to possess. But if your heart, if what turns away? Your heart. Turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce you today that you shall surely perish. You should not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and to possess. And guess what? It happened. It happened. <laughs> So under the terms of this old covenant, Israel had a choice. Life or death, good or evil. Who was it up to? Them. Went up to God. It was up to them. This is the thing. God's going to glorify himself through Israel one way or the other. Let me tell you something. Don't you know that God is even glorified in evil? OK, because this is what happened when when evil happens. God is not the cause of evil, but God can be glorified through evil. And I'll tell you, I give you a perfect example. OK, you think about. Moving forward to the book of first uh, Samuel, first second, Samuel, first second Kings. How is God glorified through the evil of those kings? His promise came true. That they would be scattered. That was God being glorified. Showing that God does what? He fulfills his promise. Whether it was a a warning. Whether it was a curse. Or whether it was a blessing. He was still glorified. When they disobeyed. And those curses came upon him. God was being glorified. Because what God said was going to happen. If they disobeyed. It did happen. That was God glorifying himself in other words I mean what I say basically that's God being glorified the consequences to sin is God being glorified because God says that there are consequences to sin and it brings glory to God Lord your word is true not just the good stuff as people say but the evil too even in the curses God is being glorified and also God can use evil to glorify his name by causing people to look to him to turn to him and be saved think about something like Timothy eleventh when those you know, planes hit those, those towers and, and, and all those people were killed, how can God be glorified through such evil? Because one, people can see that Islam is a not a religion of peace because those, those terrorists were uh, Islamic radicals, terrorists. People can see that calamity and ask, how can God allow this to happen? And that's when Christians can come in with the gospel and say, Hey, God is not the author of that God didn't cause that to happen but Jesus said himself unless you repent you will likewise perish because some people say oh you know these these uh and they were innocent people in a sense they were just sitting in the offices or whatever people just flying on a plane and then next thing you know The plane was hijacked and everything. But the greater point is that even in something evil like that, we can look at it and say, unless we repent, we will likewise perish. And that's how we have to look at it because we can think because um, it happened because it was evil that there's no ultimate purpose in it. But it's always a purpose because God is 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 sovereign even over their evil. This is uh Luke 13. evil people evil deeds okay Luke 13 repent of perish basically is the, is the, is the principle here there were present at the season some who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and Jesus answered and said to them do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered such things I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So that evil happening to them. Can be used to. Lead people. To, to Christ to repentance. Evil. D- d- deeds like that can lead people. To repentance. It was. So. Looking at this life. Or death or good or evil. Either way God is going to be glorified. How what happened was about their choice. (laughs) Okay. The Lord your God bless you in the land which you go to possess. So again. If they are obedient they will see blessing. Their disobedience. The Israel would surely perish. It was up to Israel based on their conduct. So they had their choice now under the old covenant it was different because they, their blessing was based on their obedience but under the new covenant our relationship with God is not based on what I do for God but what Jesus did on our behalf and that's the blessing of the new covenant the old covenant that Israel had to do in order to be blessed the new covenant in which we live under is not about what we do, but it's about what, what Christ has done on our behalf. This is one of the crucial distinctions between the Old Testament and New Testament. The old, the old Covenant rather than the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was more about what Israel had to do in order to be blessed by God. Under the New Covenant which we're under, it is about what Christ has done for us on our behalf and what we do in response to that. You know, we're going to talk about this Sunday uh, Ephesians 2 and 10. We are his workmanship uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do them. We do the good works based on what Christ has done for us by saving us. By grace, we are saved through faith. So we're saved to do good works. We don't do good works in order to be saved. So that's the difference between the old covenant and new covenant. The old covenant, Israel had to do good works in order to be blessed by God. On the new covenant, we do good works because of what God has done for us in Christ. So we do good works in response to what God has done for us. Israel had to do good works in order to get a good response from God. That's the main difference between the two covenants. So Israel... Had a choice. So verse 19. Moses set the choice before Israel. What did he say? I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That I have set before you. Life. And death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore do what? Choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. That you may love the Lord your God. That you may obey his voice. That you may cling to him. For he is your life. And the length of your days. I like that. And that you may dwell in the land. Which the Lord your God swore. To your fathers. To Abraham. To Isaac. To Jacob. To give them. So they had, it is, it's a very nice verse. So Israel had to choose between life and death, blessing and curse. And he says, therefore, choose life. God did care about what they chose. So Moses was basically, he was pleading with Israel. He said, Israel, choose life. He didn't say choose death. He said, Israel, choose life. And this is God's heart for all people, all unsaved people. Choose life. Turn to me and be saved. The life that we have is different from this life. The life that we have is abundant life in Christ Jesus, eternal life that we have as we believe in him. So even outside the new covenant, man is confronted with this choice. Now, man's, man's choice is not will I obey God or not, because remember, I'm regenerate man, unsaved people can't obey God. It's impossible for them to obey God. Okay. But the difference is will I trust in Jesus? or not will I trust in Jesus will I place my faith in him that's the bigger question for people today and that's what we see in Deuteronomy 30 then they had to make that choice but the choice we have to make man has to make is will I trust Jesus will I trust in his work Jesus said this in Luke 11 and 23. He says, he who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Jesus asked the question also of people uh, in order for them to make a choice. Matthew 16 and 15. He asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Men said, some say he was Elijah, one of the prophets. And then he asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Okay. They had to make a choice. And so that's the question that goes to mankind today. Because the the answer to that question, who do you say that I am, determines our eternal destiny. If people don't get that question right, who is Jesus? Then guess what? If they don't believe that he's the Messiah, the one sent of God to save sinners, then they'll never encounter him as Savior. Savior. They say, oh, he's just a good man. He was a good teacher. He taught some good moral things. You know, he he fed the poor and 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 all this different stuff. But never acknowledge him as Messiah. They can't be saved. So why should they choose life again that they may love the Lord? To love the Lord means to trust him. That's what it means. To love and trust God means to obey his voice. We obey God because we love and trust him. Remember, it's a joy to obey God. It's a joy to obey his commandments. Why? Because we love him. Because we trust him. It's like a child. A child who really loves and trusts their their parents will obey them. A husband who really loves and trusts his wife will obey her and serve her well. To love God also means to cling to him, as Moses said here. We'll be attached to God. We... Don't want to let him go. We don't want to forsake spending time with him. It means to regard him as our life and the length of our days. It means that God is supposed to be our life, not just, you know, God didn't have a piece of our heart. (laughs) God doesn't have a piece of our life. No, God should be all of our life. Remember, All of our life to the glory of God. Everything we do to the glory of God. Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even when you fall, you still pursue God in repentance and confession of sins. So that is how the life of a true Christian looks. God is our life in the length of our days. We hold fast to Him. That is what happens when God circumcises our heart. We want to hold fast to God. Remember, we're eager to please God, we're eager to obey God. We don't rebel against God, we want to cling to Him with everything. What's the old uh, hymn? Hold to His hand, God's unchanging hand. Build your hope on things eternal hold on to God's unchanging hand. That's, that's what we want to do as believers. We want to cling to God. Why? Because he never changes. He never reneges on his promises. He never lets us down. So when we love God, guess what? We're going to cling to him. When we love God, we're going to obey his voice. When we love God, he is going to be our life and the length of our days. And this is what Moses had promised them. So we see just encapsulating all of this. The choice that God gives us, the choice that God gives all mankind. Either you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to perish. Either you're going to repent and turn to Christ and be saved or you're going to to perish in your sins. That's the choice that people are faced with. Yep, one choice. The day that you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. We talk about that all the time. People do hear the call of God. Every single person hears the call of God to repent. Every person hears the call of God to turn to him and be saved. But what do most people do? They harden their hearts. They harden their hearts, yep. You're right. You know, sometimes we can say, man, they just need to hit rock bottom. There's no such thing as rock bottom, people. It's not. There's no such thing as rock bottom. That's a that's a psychological, that's a secular psychology term. There's no such thing as rock bottom. Rock bottom is when you're in the grave pushing up daisies. Until then, a person, you know, because sometimes, you know, we think that, man, if, if something can just like an accident or something just wakes them up, they can still have that and still not be woken up. They have a near-death experience. I told you all this story a, a couple months ago about a young man who I was mentoring and, uh, you know, he, he's still not a believer, but I was mentoring him and disciplining him. He was coming to church every now and then, and and uh, he was out one night. This was something, this is about, man, seven, eight years ago. He was out one night with some friends, and, and he was uh, a witness to... Someone getting shot over there in Constantine. He was at the place where it happened, and he was shook up, like nobody's business. He called me and said, "Mr. Haygood, uh, you know, you, you're coming to pick me up for church. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready to give my life to the Lord. You know." And I said, "Wow, you know, how how this happened all of a sudden?" And then he told me what happened. I said, "Okay, so we, um, you know, talked about it and everything, and you know, he came to church, and you know, he was able to get up and give his testimony and whatnot." Uh, but it ended up being a false conversion because it was only because of that moment that something happened where it was a shooting and he was scared and he could have gotten shot or killed he saw somebody get killed or whatever and it just kind of shook him up a little bit and he wanted to come to church and, and quote get right with God but he, he had a false a false confession because it didn't last long once that that fear goes away if you're not if you, if you don't have that new heart if a person have a new heart guess what they're not going to last they're not going to persevere you say yeah they need to hit rock bottom they need to be scared something needs to scare them that can happen 20 times that still doesn't mean that they have a new heart Unless God does that, and that was what Israel. Israel saw all these miracles. Israel saw the miracles. They were led. Understanding, even doing this, they were still getting fed manna. The whole forty years. What did Moses say that we read last week? Their sandals didn't uh, grow old. Their clothes didn't tatter. Their feet wasn't hurt. He gave them manna every day. These forty years they saw the miracles you have to understand until they cross over the Jordan into the promised land they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night they were still led it, it, didn't, it didn't stop because it's not mentioned that's how God led them they saw that miracle they saw that, that, that cloud in the sky that led them during the day and they saw the pillar of fire by night leading them for 40 years that's a miracle they saw that every single day but yet, had someone that was still stiff-necked. Why? Because they didn't have that new heart. But what did God say he was going to do? He was going to give them a new heart. That's the same way it is with every unbeliever. We got unbelievers in our family that see us. They see we're living for the Lord. They see we're going to church. They see we're giving to the church. They hear us talk about the Lord and how much we love the Lord and serving him and all those things. They see us talk about our church families and all that stuff. They hear all that. They see how God has changed your life and all that. But they still don't believe. Why? Because that new heart. Because of that new heart. And that's why we pray for our unbelieving family members, friends, co-workers, That God gives them a new heart. That's what I pray all the time. Lord, regenerate their hearts. Give them a new heart so that they may serve you and love you faithfully. Amen. Let us pray as we close. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your covenant promises. Thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you, Lord, that you do give us a new nature and you do give us a new heart so that we can worship you, honor you, serve you, and obey you. Thank you, Lord, that You love us so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die in our place for our sins, to die on our behalf. Thank you that we live under the new covenant, Lord, where it's not about what we do, but it is what Christ has done for us. And that is what empowers us, Lord. That even when we fall short, that Christ still has his love on us. He doesn't give us the curse that comes with the law because Christ became a curse for us. Christ bore all the curses of the law. Lord, thank you for being so faithful. Thank you for being so good. And to meet on Lord's Day, Lord, may your presence be with us in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name I pray, Amen.